<clears throat> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Couch Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and let's break down some fights. So if anyone's new to the show, welcome. We're still a relatively new show. We meet every Tuesday. I drop a video at around... It depends on the day, but I try to have them out at around 11 p.m. Sometimes a little later, depends. Um, the goal is to eventually go live, but we got to grow a little bit first, so that's that. Um, yeah, so we'll go over last week real quick. Uh, we'll do a recap. We finally had a good week, weekend, and then we'll go right into this upcoming card. Um, later this week... Tomorrow I should be dropping one of my uh, fantasy videos where we cover prize picks, DraftKings, Prediction Strike, and we might be adding uh, Underdog Fantasy to it too. They, they're just like prize picks, similar situation. Um, and I'm, I hope to have out a Bellator video by around Thursday, I hope. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to do Bellator and PFL together or in separate videos, but I'd, I'd like to cover both. And I know there's a bunch of smaller cards. Um, I definitely won't be doing a video for those, including the Russian U e EFC card. Um, I will probably go over them myself, and if I find any spots, I'll throw it up on my Twitter, at CouchWarriorPod. If I find enough spots, maybe I'll make a quick video, but it's unlikely. And, yeah. That's all I got to say about that. Um, let's do a quick recap. So, this past weekend, UFC 271, we finished up 7.36 units. So, we had a good one finally. Um, so, for our money line bets, we went we went four and six on our picks. So, Derek Lewis one unit. You guys saw what happened there. That was crazy. Anyone who's saying Derek just fell on purpose is just an idiot. He got finished fair and square. That was a crazy fight. Good for Ty. Seeing him as number number three right now in the rankings is absolutely ridiculous. But fuck it. He made it there. And then uh, t two bets on Cannoneer, both for uh, 1.65 units. Um, I don't know the math there. I think it's 3.3 uh, units total. Could be wrong, but... um. That was Cannoneer that I cashed. Then Nasrat, two units as an underdog. I had a feeling as we got closer that uh, I made a mistake. Bobby Green is Bobby Green. He, dude's honestly on a, on a new level right now. Olberg, three units that cashed. Easy. Malkoon, one unit cashed. And then uh, Grishin, I only put uh, .85 units because I also made a few parlays with him. Um, I didn't include those in here, but I believe either both cashed or only one of them did. And then for the round robins, the main one, uh, we had six people in there. For The total stake was 7.5 units. We had Kyler, O'Neal, Grishin, Olberg, Wells, and Morozov. They all hit except for Morozov, so that was great. For the bigger round robin, we had those six as well as Cannoneer and Lewis. Um, for that one, we hit six of eight. We missed on Lewis and Morozov. And then for our parlays, we had, uh, the Izzy fight going over two and a half and the O'Neal fight going over two and a half. We had a unit on that. That hit. 
And then we had Izzy one and a half, over one and a half for that fight. And uh, Bobby Green's fight over two and a half for a half unit. That hit too. Um, Izzy one, over one and a half parlayed with Morozov over two and a half. That did not hit for a half unit. And then Wells Moneyline and Izzy over 1.5 rounds. Um, that hit as well. So that was last week. It was a good week. We did well. But can't sit around and uh, just talk about it. And now we move on and um, hopefully have an even better week. We got UFC. We've got Bellator. Honestly, I hate this card. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be boring. Even though, you know, I'm not exactly that excited for it. But it was hard to find spots. And when you... <laughs> When you guys hear my bets, it'll definitely be a little different than usual. But uh, hopefully I've got some interesting looks for you guys. Um, I've already got two Bellator bets out, if anyone cares. Uh, Nick Brown, one unit, and um, Logan Storley, one unit. I got them both as dogs. Storley, I got a plus 170. I do not believe that line is still up. So that was cool. Um, I'll be dropping those picks on my Twitter I should have already. Um, I'm gonna do that today, tonight, and I'll drop all of the ones, all the UFC picks I have done as well. All right, enough chitter chatter. Hope you guys have a drink. If you don't drink, that's fine, but you should. Just kidding. Only kind of. All right. So for our first fight, we've got Jesse Strader versus Chad Anhelliger. Uh, Strader is 30 years old, five foot seven. He's got a 70-inch reach, fighting at a so South South California Fight Factory. Uh, he fights out of orthodox stance. Um, and and Helliger, on the other hand, he's 35 years old. He's five foot six, 64-inch reach. So he's giving up quite a bit in reach here, which I do not like, and it was part of my reasoning for. Uh, my pick that we'll get to later but and he trains out of champions creed martial arts which has been his turning point um he was on a losing streak in the beginning of his career and i believe he's now on a nine fight winning streak um anna Liger, uh if anyone remembers he fought on the contender series against moon gafarov this past year um moon opened at like minus 180 and closed like minus 500 i think something crazy like that and uh, Chad ended up winning that fight as like a plus 300 dog, I want to say. Uh, he got out-wrestled round one easy. Round two, started wearing on the guy. And then round three, the guy was too tired to really wrestle correctly. And uh, Chad was able to land some shots and do a decent job. Um, personally, I scored it for Gafarov still, but I couldn't blame anyone for scoring it for Chad. <laughs> He's a bit on the older side, 35 years old, but he's pretty technically sound. Uh, he's got a good hook, good knees, nice elbows. He mixes it up well. Striking defense is decent. He's got a good slip. Um, he's got active scrambles when he's on bottom, which is important, but I don't know how important that's going to be here. I mean, Strader might, might try to mix in a takedown, but he's not really one to try to go for it too much or to try to keep it down there, so... I'm not sure how relevant that'll be here. And he's got three sub wins, three sub losses. But like I said, I'm not sure that Strader's going to grapple him. Strader, uh, he's a combate guy. 
he got brought in to fight um what's his name Montel Jackson on short notice and he got cooked but you know he did what he does he threw his body shots that's that's his thing he'll throw just like a barrage of body shots and then the second you're distracted he'll go up with the left hook to your face it's worked for him once again I think the guy's name was Rodriguez I don't remember correctly but is it going to work on these higher level dudes? I don't think so. The issue with this fight is there's just not enough information. I mean, UFC stats-wise, there's like nothing on Strader. And then for Chad, it's just from his one day in a white contender series fight. Outside of the UFC, they're t they're almost identical. Both fought for just over an hour. Um, Strader, there's not much on him because... Before his Montel Jackson fight, he hadn't fought since 2019, similar to Chad, who also hadn't fought before, since 2019 before his uh, Contender Series bout. But, look, when he fought Marcelo Rojo, he looked good. Did Strader. He hurt him, actually. And Rojo only won because he ended up landing a knee and putting Strader down. Strader does seem to have a bit of a chin issue, but we don't know enough. Um... That's why I was not comfortable here playing either of these guys straight or... Like, I was looking at Chad to parlay him because it says minus 280. He was minus 260 when I wrote this. Um, I believe Bet Online has him for something like minus 248, I want to say. I'm not sure if you guys could see, but Bet Online has him for minus 238 right now. So, you know, like, if, if you are feeling him, that's the spot you want. But... I think he's more technically sound on the feet, but I just don't know much else. I don't know who's going to be better on the ground. Um, I don't know for sure who's going to be better striking. Strader, he does have the reach. He's got a 70-inch reach to the 64 for Chad. So he's got an extra six inches to work with for those combos he likes to throw. I think that violence is the answer here. I think the fight's not going to go the distance. I don't remember the odds for that in particular and I don't think I'm going to be betting it because I think that yeah it's minus 170 uh, minus 138 is the lowest on Betway not sure who has access to that but yeah I'm not interested in that um, personally I ended up deciding that I'm just going to do a little sprinkle and what I did was I played Jesse Strader by I think I got inside the distance because I couldn't find like KO was the same price, so I was like, just like fuck it. Um, I got him for plus four hundred. I put a quarter unit to win about a unit. I think a unit exactly, actually. And yeah, that's gonna be my play. I don't plan on doing much else here. Too many unknowns. I don't think that Schrader wins a decision based off the little that I've seen so far. I just don't think so. But you know. I do think pr pretty highly of Chad based off of what I saw. So if we if we finish inside the distance, great. We're gonna cash a nice little ticket, pick up a unit. If not, you know, we didn't overextend on a fight that we didn't really have a good read on, and that's the name of the game is unit management. So, alrighty. Let's see what topology thinks. They're all over Chad. And it's interesting because on Bet MMA, it's the other way. Everybody's on straighter. I guess, you know, the difference between betting and just predicting. But, anyways, next fight, we've got Diana Belbita versus Gloria DePaula. 
it's interesting because a lot of people have been shitting on this fight, saying how boring it is and whatever. Myla, no. Sorry about my cat. I think the opposite, actually. I think that this fight is more interesting than the other woman's fight that we're going to have. Um, since when is grappling more exciting than striking? I'm not really sure, but that's what we've got here. We've got two strikers. We've got Diana Belbito. She's 14, 6 and 0. Um, 25 years old, 5 foot 7, 68 inch reach, trains out of House of Champions, and um, she fights out of Orthodox. DePaula, she's 26 years old, 5 foot 5, 67 and a half inch reach, and she fights out of Chute Box, um, Diego Lima. She's also fighting out of Orthodox. So, let's see. How do I want to go about this? This is going to be a striking affair. Both of these women are strikers. Uh, Belbita has a kickboxing background. She was a multiple-time Romanian kickboxing champion. Paula has a Muay Thai striking background. I'm not sure if she was any champion or anything like that, but I know that's her background. You know, DePaula's got the worst-looking record, 5-4-0. Belbita's got the 14-6-0, but that's because... Bobita fought some cans over on the Romanian scene. And Paula's spent already, what, three fights in the UFC? Yeah, three. Um, one of those being the Dana White's Contender Series. So, Two of those losses are from the UFC. Um, it really is going to come down to two things, I think. Who's going to strike better and who's going to mix it up more? Because both of these women throw straight strikes, which I really like. I think that Paula stays cleaner over time. As the fight progresses, she still stays straight with her punches, still sticks um, to good combos. Belbita, on the other hand, um, in round one, I think her striking looks better than DePaula's. Straight one-twos down the pipe, just clipping girls. Looks fantastic. She starts to swing a bit much as the fight goes on, and I think that that's where DePaula might uh, have the advantage, but... I think that they're actually similar on the feet. Grappling-wise, we've seen Bobita get one takedown. That ended in her being submitted by Jawa. There's not going to be a submission threat here, so if she doesn't want to mix in the takedown, I think she should feel free. That's probably going to be a good idea. Bobita... Her last few fights, she had uh, she fought Goldie in her last one. She got she got the W there. I believe it was Goldie's return um, after I think a year or two off. I don't remember. Actually, was it Goldie's debut? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, no, it was not her debut. It was her return. I know what I'm talking about. See. But, yeah, anyways, um, yeah, it's it's about a pick em and it makes sense because there's really no, I don't see anything to, like, hang, hang my hat on on either side that's going to be like, oh, I think she's going to win, oh, I think she's going to win. At these pick em odds, I'm slightly leaning Belbita just because of, I think her volume's a little bit higher. Um, 
I think that her length is going to be a little bit longer than it says. It's that 68-inch reach to the 67.5. Her limbs look really long in action. Um, yeah, I think overall she'll probably, if it does get, you know, if it's not going her way on the feet, I think she should be able to take it down if she tries. She doesn't have the best fight IQ as we saw with her losing by armbar to Liana Jawa, but she's she has over an hour cage time over DePaula, two hours experience in the cage for Belbita, plus half an hour in the UFC, and then for DePaula just an hour outside of the UFC. So both have a uh, pretty good defense. DePaula keeps a nice high guard. Really like if you've watched my show before, I like a good jab. I like one-twos down the pipe, and I like a high guard. She's got all those things, so thumbs up for me. Personally, I don't have a lean on either side. I think it's going to be really close. I've been eyeing Belbita, excuse me, for the past few days. Um, she's gone underdog. She's gone favorite. She's been all over the place. Right now, she's around 115. DraftKings, you can snag her at minus 110. I'll be thinking, I don't know. I'm a little interested in the fight doesn't go the distance here because I think that everybody else is going to be going the other way. We got two strikers. Both of them have finishes on their records. I understand they haven't been finishing so much in the UFC, if at all. They haven't been finishing at all, but they've actually both been losing. But two strikers on the feet, both looking to knock each other's heads off. I do think that a finish is live. Bobita hurt Goldie multiple times when they fought. It was nasty. Gloria can also strike really well. She hurt Jinyu Frey multiple times in their second round. So I might look at that fight. Doesn't go the distance. The under is plus 200. The under 2.5. I might look at that. We'll see. This definitely isn't one of my fights that I'm going to be targeting, but I will be eyeing Belbita, and I'll be eyeing the fight doesn't go as it comes out. Alrighty. Here we've got Chas Skelly versus Mark Striegel at featherweight. We got Chas Skelly. He's 36 years old, 5'11", 73.5 inch reach. Fights out of team takedown, and he fights out of orthodox stance. Then you got Mark Striegel, is 33 years old, 5'8", 70-inch reach. He fights at a fist gym, and he's a southpaw. So, Mark Striegel, if you don't recognize him, he's only fought in the UFC once. It was against uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov. He got clipped very quickly, so there really wasn't much to see. But the fight before that, he fought this... Uh, very old older fella I want to say that he's Japanese but I could be wrong about that but it was definitely an older fellow I think his record was like 20 and 11 something like that and um, it was an interesting fight to watch for Striegel Striegel did win I don't remember by which method let me double check that Shinuchi Shimizu Shim Shimizu. Oh yeah, it was a low blow on the part of uh, Striegel, and then I guess Shinuchi couldn't continue. But there is limited tape on Striegel that, to work with, and you know with Skelly, it's also a little limited because the guy hasn't fought since 2019. He was supposed to fight Jamal Emmers not too long ago, I think sometime last year, 
and something happened backstage with Emmers where he couldn't come out, and I think Skelly was already in the cage, which is what made it pretty crazy, but... That's definitely not a good thing. Skelly's the major vet here. 11 out of 21 of his pro fights are in the UFC. That's 52%. Striegel, 1 of 21, have been in the UFC. That's 4% of his career. They've got an identical record of 18-3-0. But Skelly in the UFC is actually 7-3-1, which is actually a fantastic record. Thing is, like the wins and losses aren't that great. He's been fighting okay guys. His last win was over Jordan Griffin, and Jordan Griffin had some good moments where Skelly just looked awful. Um, on his feet, he looks terrible. The guy's a grappler, true and true. Once he gets, he kind of reminds me of a Car CDF, uh, Carlos Diego Ferreira, and uh, I hope is it Carlos or Cesar? I hope I didn't butcher that, but regardless, um, reminds me of him the way he'll take the back or scramble on on bottom. He does accept bottom position, and he will pull guard, which is part of the reason I, I refuse to even look at betting him. I don't like to bet on guys who will pull guard. It makes me really anxious, and I feel like they often lose, if not always lose. So, not a big fan. He's low output, grapple heavy, is skelly. He'll just be pushing for the takedowns here. And that's why I was curious... Not curious. That's why I was interested in the Striegel shot for the underdog. And I did end up taking it. I snagged him at plus 185. And the way I see it is he's a grappler as well. He can wrestle himself. And the way Skelly has been, he usually prefers for the other guy to take him down. And then tries to scramble. So that's probably exactly what's going to happen here. And either he's going to find success. And he's going to be able to control Striegel in some kind of grappling exchanges. Or I think either, or I think Striegel is going to be on top of him, getting control, waiting at the clock. And if they're on the feet, I think it's Striegel all day. I mean, the guy's no, no fantastic striker by any stretch of the imagination. This is no Golden Gloves winner, but I mean, Skelly looks like Ben Askren on the feet. <laughs> I'm not really kidding. He, you can go check it out. He doesn't look very good on the feet at all. So. Yeah, when I saw the minus 220, I did not understand that. It doesn't really make sense to me. I get it. He's the vet. But, like, skill for skill, he does not appear to be a 2-1 to one favorite. So, I like that plus 185 snag. Um, as you can tell, Tapology doesn't agree with me. But that's okay. What do they know? So, yeah, that's my uh, bet here. One unit on Mark Striegel. I got him at plus 185. I just think that we don't have enough to say that Skelly's going to win for sure. And he hasn't been at, around since 2019. I think that Striegel's going to be probably the one who's improved more since his last appearance. Uh, he's a little bit younger, a little bit hungrier because he's new to the UFC. And yeah, that's going to be the pick here, Striegel. But not extremely confident. Now, this is one that I'm on an island for. Excuse me, opening up another one of these babies. Alright, so here we've got Jessica Rose Clark versus Stephanie Egger.
Clark is 34 years old. She's 5'5", five 67-inch five, reach. And I believe right now she's either training with Alpha Male or with AKA or both. I'm not exactly sure, but it's one of those. Edgar, on the other hand, she's 33 years old, 5'6", 68-inch reach, and she's training at a buddy gym over in Sweden. Not Sweden, I'm sorry, Switzerland. Edgar is a multiple-time, I believe, a judo champion. She's a judo black belt. Very talented in judo in, in the clinch situation. she got great throws. Something common amongst judo people, which you see with her, for some reason they struggle with like folk-style wrestling, like t double legs and the such, which is interesting, but if you watch her Cortez fight, I mean, Cortez took her down almost at will, which is, I think that's the angle that a lot of people are seeing with Rose Clark, because if you watch um, Clark's last fight against, um, I don't remember the woman's name, Jocelyn Edwards, that's what it was. In her last fight against Jocelyn Edwards, she was wrestling. She she was doing pretty much what Cortez did to Edgar, and I think that's what people are imagining will happen again. But I'm not sure that Clark and Cortez are the same person, and I'm also not sure that Edgar now is going to be the same as Edgar was on her debut. We've seen only improvements from her in her last fight. She got she got the W against I want to say Shawnee Young. She, it was a second round finish if I remember correctly. Elbows from top. I had money on Edgar there. I think I might have gotten her as a dog. I don't remember, but I think she's overlooked. Honestly, her striking's been pretty good. It's been improving. It's getting straighter. Uh, she's throwing one twos, which is great to see. Still loops her strikes a little too much, and a jab would be nice, but. She's working on it. On the other hand, Clark's actually been putting her striking together. She's got a pretty basic jab and combos, but she uses them well. She's got a pretty good output when she's able to let it go. And she's got a nice kick, nice straight right hand, good knees and elbows when she uses them. It was really hard for me to decide here which way I wanted to lean or if I wanted to go any one which way. But one thing that I noted that... Uh, kind of put me towards the Edgar side was Clark's fight with uh, Sarah Alper. In that fight, Alper was the aggressor in terms of wrestling and grappling. Alper took her down. Alper put her up against the fence and controlled her for a little bit. And those are not things you want to see if if, if you're going to be fighting somebody like Stephanie Edgar, who's a judo black belt, you know? Like, if they're against the fence, Stephanie's probably going to throw her or she's going to be landing her clinch strikes. If Clark's going for double legs, she's probably going to be landing them. So who's going to impose their game? That's what it's going to come down to. I think it should be a little closer odds-wise, to be honest. I do get why people are flocking to Clark, like I said. I think they're expecting to look for this to look just like the Cortez fight. Excuse me. I do think that's possible. I think it's possible it looks like the Cortez fight. Because of that, I'm not betting Edgar straight up. But what I am going to do is I'm probably going to bet Edgar by decision. I saw that it's around like plus 330 right now. So I'm going to wait around. I'm going to see what books it pops up on and uh, at what price. And I might hit that for about a half unit. Because I think this fight is closer than people make it out to be. Excuse me. Um, I think that it's probably going to go to decision. And I think that if 
Clark gets stuck against the fence like she did with Alper sometimes, I think it's going to end very differently than it did in that fight. So, give me Edgar as the dog for a slight lean, but no confidence here, really. Here, though, I've got quite the bet. So, we got Gabriel Benitez versus David Onama. Benitez is 33 years old, 5'8", 71-inch reach, fighting at AKA. Onama's 8-1-0, 5'11", 74-inch reach. He is, I believe, 27 years old, and he's fighting at a glory MMA. So... If anyone doesn't recognize Onama, he's only had one fight in the UFC. It was a 15-minute banger against Mason Jones, who I think all of us are high on. And Jones was like a minus four, 500 favor going into that fight. And everybody agreed with the price tag. I mean, we all saw the tape on Onama. We all saw that he could strike. We all saw that he was a good fighter. But, you know, he was coming in against Mason Jones on short notice going up a weight class from 45 to 55 and most people just thought he was going to get bodied and that's not at all what happened he turned Mason Jones into a grappler I believe he outstruck Mason Jones I believe he hurt Mason Jones way more than Mason Jones hurt him I do not remember if there was a knockdown or not I will check no, no knockdown on either side, but Jones did get eight takedowns, and Onama outstruck him, I think I saw, by two strikes. So, so on Onama's a really good striker. I mean, you watch the tape. He's got a really good jab, super strong strikes, nice one-two, really good combos, and he's got a great output. His takedown defense isn't amazing, but he gets up really fast, which is great. You you don't want a guy who settles on the bottom, and that is not what David Onama does. Knowing that he trains out of glory MMA helps too, because Krause is great at teaching those guys over there how to grapple, counter grapple, all of that stuff. He's got a pro record of 8-1-0, but don't, don't get it twisted. The guy's experienced. He's got another 10 fights in the amateur realm. He was 10-0 there, so a total of 18, 19 fights, and... 18 wins, only one loss being to Mason Jones. So that's pretty damn good in my opinion. He's got five sub wins, no sub losses, but I don't really think that's going to be relative here. Relative, relevant here. And then on the other side, we got Mowgli. Um, when I wrote this, he was plus 105. Onama was uh, minus 134. I think it, you can still get those prices. No, you cannot. The cheapest you'll find Onama now is DraftKings, minus 145. Benitez, plus 125. If you like Benitez, you can get him for plus 132 over on FanDuel. But personally, I I don't see the angle for Benitez here. You look at his last few fights, you know. So, let's pull it up here. So we can look at some stats, too. How much can you guys see? Not much. But alright. We look at his last few fights, right? So you got the Billy Quarantillo fight where, you know, he didn't just get out grappled. He got out struck too. And I love Billy, but Billy can 
often throw some looping strikes that aren't the cleanest. And I personally had Benitez in that fight. I thought he would do much better than he did. And I was shocked, honestly. But he got out-muscled, which I think is going to be relevant here. He got outstruck, which I think is going to be relevant here. And he got out-grappled, which I don't know if it's going to be relevant. But I do think that Onama could mix it in. Um, Benitez, you know, he he's a good striker himself. Very kickboxing-based. He's got a good jab, good combos when he lets them go. Uh, when he lets it go, he actually looks fantastic with his combos. He got a lot of good work in against Omar Morales in, in their fight. If you've ever watched any of his fights, uh, you've heard John Anik talk about his kicks. John Anik doesn't shut the fuck up about his kicks. <laughs> He's always talking about how the coach over at AKA said that... Um, Benitez kicks harder than Luke Rockhold, blah, 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 blah. Does seem like he kicks really hard, but I don't know, man. Benitez has the southpaw advantage, so that he's got that going for him. He's got the experience advantage in the UFC. One hour and 42 minutes in the octagon to Onama's 15. Uh, Benitez also has 11 out of 32 of his fights in the UFC. So we're talking about a big vet over here. But... I just think Onama's going to beat him. I think he's going to beat him standing. I think if it goes to the ground, I think Onama will have the advantage. He's a younger guy. He's a more talented guy. He's a bigger guy. He's a stronger guy. And I think he's going to be the hungrier guy. Uh, I originally just took Onama for 1.5 units. And then I believe I, I went past doubling down. I think I put another 2 units. I did. At the same price. So I have a total of 3.5 units on Onama. And then I have him on a parlay too. I feel a little overextended on him for sure. Especially, you know, he's still kind of, not kind of, he's still very new to the UFC. And he's fighting someone who's not a joke and somebody who has been around the block. But like I said, you look at his last few fights for Benitez. Like, he's got that win over Justin Janes. I never thought Janes belonged in the UFC to begin with. Morales, that was pretty good fight, good showing. Sodiq Youssef, you know, there's no real shame in losing there. He got knocked out in the first round. Um, a win over Humberto Bandanai by slam really doesn't give you much credit in my book. Neither does a win over Jason Knight in 2017. So, you know, he's had, had a hard go of it in his last few. Um, I just think that Onama is most likely the side here. That's that. Not much more that I have to say there. Alrighty. So, for this one. This is a last minute replacement. We've had two of these. One for Jonathan Pierce and one for Mario Batista. Batista was originally going to fight Taha. I wish that stuck together because I was going to bet Batista at a pretty, pretty nice odds, but... That's okay. Um, instead, we are welcoming Jay Perrin to the octagon. He is relatively unknown. I'd like to think that I'm pretty well versed in the regional scene. And honestly, I didn't know who Jay Perrin was either. So, his last fight was in CES 64. Um, I watched that one. You know, he... 
he showed pr pretty decent grappling, but he also gets taken down himself pretty easy. You could see that in the Diego Silva fight. His striking is just bursts. It's not terrible. He's got some decent hooks, but it just doesn't look good. Um, not sure if I did their official intros, but uh, Mario Bautista, five foot nine, sixty-nine inch reach, twenty-eight years old, fighting out of an MMA lab. Anyone who doesn't know, that's where Sean O'Malley trains. That's where Casey Kenny trains. That's where we just saw Kyler Phillip. That's where he trains. All of those guys are in the same weight class. Batista's a bantamweight just like them. So you know he's getting really good looks. And you can tell by the way he fights that he's getting good looks. I mean, he's only improved every time he showed up. And I know he got knocked out by Tremon Jones in his last fight. But that's kind of like getting knocked out by Derek Lewis. Like, if the strike hits, you're just going to go to sleep. It doesn't matter how good you are. Um, and then Perrin on the other side is 28 years old as well. Same exact height, same exact reach, which is interesting. Um, he's 10-4-0 to Batista's 8-2-0. Batista also went 4-1-0 as an amateur, and so did Perrin went 5-1-0. Um, cage time, they're pretty similar. Uh, Batista's got about half an hour in the UFC, and then about an hour and a half outside. Excuse me. Perrin, on the other hand, has had about an hour and a half on the outside and no time in the UFC just yet. Perrin's a bit hittable, and Bautista, I really like his striking. He's got a good front kick that he uses in a few different ways to make distance, to clear up for punches, just as a kick. He's got a good one-two, good combos also. He keeps it really straight, great hook, good jab. Just doesn't use it enough. His takedown defense is pretty solid. He doesn't wrestle much himself, but he does have four submission wins. MMA Lab does train very well in grappling. Just look at Kyler he, with that third round sub in his last outing. Um, you know, maybe a sub would sub look would be interesting here as well for a bet for a Batista. But you know, Perrin's got five sub wins of his own, one sub loss only. I think Perrin's out of his league, to be honest. I mean, as most short-notice replacements tend to be when they're making their debut. Excuse me. Um, I think he's in a struggle with Batista. I think he's in a struggle with the movement. I think he's in a struggle with the striking. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens if Perrin starts trying to wrestle. It'll be interesting if Batista keeps it on the feet, if he gives it up, if he pops right back up. I'm not sure because it never really came to that. One of the people who would have tested him with the wrestling, uh, Miles Johns, I mean, Batista knocked him out with a flying uh, knee. So I'm definitely going with Batista. We'll see just how hard I go if I parlay him or what I do with him Fight if I take him in the, inside the distance. I'm looking if the odds have come up yet. I don't think they have. I think this fight got announced like today or yesterday. Yeah, it's still not out. But the pick is going to be Bautista. I mean, it doesn't take a MMA handicapping genius to make this pick. It'll be interesting to see Jay Perrin join us in the UFC. I don't really... I haven't been particularly impressed with what I've seen. If you go to his uh, Diego Silva fight on YouTube, it's funny. The comments are like calling robbery, you know, maybe, but 
Yeah, Mario Bautista is definitely the pick there. And then we've got our next short notice fight. Is that the last one before the main card? It is. All right, we're going to do this fight, and then we're going to take a quick restroom break. And then we'll reconvene and bang out the rest of the card. And I don't think there's much, really. Yeah, not much. All right. This is my most confident pick of the card. We've got Jonathan Pierce versus Christian Rodriguez. Jonathan Pierce is 11-4-0. He's 29 years old, 6 foot tall, 71 and a half inch reach, and he trains out of Fight Ready MMA. We all know Fight Ready right now. It's the hottest new thing. You got Jerry training over there. You got John Jones training over there. You've got Figgy training over there. You got Zhang Wei Li training over there. You got every ex-champ and wannabe champ that you can think of training over there. Um, Cejudo's collecting them all. But it's definitely nice to see him fighting out of there. You can tell that he's been improving like crazy. I mean, just look at his two fights after Joe Lowe was on. I mean, Kai Kamaka smoked him pretty much. Omar Morales beat him handedly, which was fantastic to watch. Um, he was a pretty heavy dog, I want to say, against... Morales. I don't remember exactly. We can pull it up, though. It's the beauty of topology. He wasn't a big dog. He was plus 135 against Morales. Which, you know, I guess you can make sense of it, but he choked him out, so let's pull up his numbers. Where's the fella? There he is. I'll pull up Christian too while we're at it, so we can look at him after. But, yeah, so Pierce, six takedowns against Omar Morales. We're talking five minutes of control time. He finished him in the second round at the rear naked. Knocked out Kai Kamaka in the second round in their bout. Looked fantastic. Um, I love his striking. I like his feints. I like how he'll, he'll like look away. He'll mix it up. He'll make it really confusing about what he's going to do next. And then he'll just hit you really hard. It's fast, great combos, really slick. He's got a good output, which is really important. Keeps his head moving. I would like if he kept his hands a little higher. I think that might end up causing him to get hit a little bit here, but I think he should be okay. His grappling, high volume, that's going to be useful here 100%. And um, he's got three sub wins, three sub losses. Uh, his his movement in the cage is very good. Very good forward pressure. Moves well. Rodriguez, on the other hand, he's five foot seven. He's got the same reach, but you know he's five foot seven. He's twenty four years old, seven and zero. So he's undefeated, and he's he went five two and zero as an amateur. So he's got some fights on his record, you know. But first of all, he's much much smaller. He's five foot seven, and even though they have the same reach, like he's gonna be giving up quite a bit on height. And Pierce knows how to use that; he really does. He's used it in his last two fights, even though him and Morales are similar in height. And I think that Morales might even have a longer reach, but he did look bigger. And I think that his size is just gonna be way too much here. Rodriguez, even in his contender series bout, I have it underlined. He gave up five minutes of control to Cortez's younger brother. Anyone who watched that fight. You know, Christian won that handedly. It was kind of cringe because at the end, Cortez's brother was like making his case to Dana about how his opponent missed weight and he should get signed, even though he was he literally lost the fight. But whatever. 
It'd be going to be interesting if we ever see him in the UFC, Cortez, but that's another story. Um, Rodriguez has really good striking, great jab, good one-two, good elbows, uh, good body shots. His striking looked really good in his Dana White contender series uh, fight, but it's also worth you know noting at least that Cortez didn't exactly have the best striking defense. He was a bit hittable, so Rodriguez just kind of got to tee off. His grappling could be better. Like I said, he got taken down, I want to say, twice. Nice, yep. He got taken down twice. Got controlled for five minutes, like I said before. I just think the problem is he's going to be way too small here and just a little bit out of... Too, too big of a step. Jonathan Pierce is no joke. And I think Christian Rodriguez is going to be no joke as well. But I think he's going to have to settle in and I think he's going to have to fight in his own weight class and not up at featherweight. So the pick is Pierce. I honestly don't even think that the line is long enough. I have a half unit on him inside the distance at plus 110. Um, I, I parlayed him with uh, another fella we'll talk about later, Kyle Dawkins. I did 2.2 units on that. And then I have him parlayed with Onama, I believe, also for a unit. And then a half unit I have him parlayed with, we'll talk about soon, Moda. But yeah, I'm, I'll probably do a decent amount with Pierce. I'm fairly confident here. I don't think the line is long enough. And um, I think it's going to be a rough debut for Christian Rodriguez. So before we move on to the main card, we're going to take a quick, quick, quick break. I'm going to use the restroom and grab another white claw, and I will be right back.
Alrighty. I don't think we have much left, honestly. It's a pretty short main card, if I remember correctly. One, two, three, four. Yeah, five fights left. And nothing really to write home about either. Alright. So, first off, we've got Joaquin Buckley versus Abdul Razak Al Hassan. Joaquin Buckley is 27 years old. He's 5'10, 76 inch reach. He does not train out of Finney's Hit Squad. I believe he's now at Extreme Couture. Couture. He's a southpaw. And Extreme Couture right now is a, also another hot topic. You see a lot of fighters going over there. Maybe it has something to do with Francis being there. Who knows? Eric Nixick is a great coach, so that's probably the reason. On the other side, you got Al Hassan. He's 36 years old. Unfortunately, lost a few years of his career to some uh, legal issues. Oh, I hope the mic was on. We deal with this every single time when I come back. Sometimes worried about the mic. In case my mic was off, which I don't think it was, but in case it was, Joaquin Buckley versus Abdul Razak Al Hassan. That's what we're talking about. I wasn't very far in, but. Al Hassan, he's five foot ten, so they're the same height. He's normally the smaller guy over here at one eighty five, so it'll be interesting to see how these two face up. Because honestly, I would have thought that Buckley looks a little smaller, but that could also be because he's always been next to such tall guys. We've saw seen him fight Jordan Wright. We saw him last fight. What was his name? I think he just got cut. Big fella who lost to Duran win and cost me some money. Antonio Arroyo. Yeah, so like he's been fighting some big dudes. It'll be interesting to see how he sizes up with Abdul Razak Al Hassan. Uh, Al Hassan's out of Fortis MMA. Um, we haven't really seen them do that great lately. Safe Sayud over there. <laughs> One of the loudest coaches in MMA, but good camp for sure. Anyone who remembers, this fight was actually supposed to happen already. It got postponed, I think, at least once, possibly twice. And the line hasn't moved. It's about the same. Buckley, when I wrote this, is minus 150, just like Tapology says. Uh, I had Al Hassan at, my, at plus 130. He's plus 125 over there. See, Tapology's like in Buckley. I know Bet MMA likes Al Hassan. This one's interesting because, you know, two really similar fighters. I mean, both of them are power hitters. Both of them are looking for the knockout punches. Both of them are looking for finishes. Both of them get finishes. Um, similar UFC uh, tenure so far. Uh, Buckley, you know, super explosive. He can lean in a bit much, but I like his boxing style a lot. I think he's underrated quite a bit. I thought he did well against Kevin Holland before getting KO'd. I thought he was beating Impa well before he kicked him and uh, became a superstar. I knew he was going to beat Jordan Wright. Um, I was surprised when he got knocked out by Chirico, but was not surprised when he knocked out Arroyo. He's got nasty boxing. He's got nasty strength. He's extremely explosive. And another thing about Buckley is he's a fucking dog. He fights like he's pissed because he is pissed. All he wants to do is win. And that's somebody I want to put my money on. Someone who's going to fight till till the fucking end. Either they're out or the other guy's out. 
Ahasen's similar. He's in a he's goes for for the kill, but I don't know. I feel like you take him out of his element like Malkoon did. Not saying Buckley's gonna wrestle him, but you know, even Lazez took him out of his element, meaning um, he didn't let him just do his power punching nonsense. He kept him at distance. He mixed up the strikes. He made it difficult. He made it annoying. Ahasen does well when you let him back you up. He does well when you let him go off. He needs. He doesn't. He doesn't like jab, jab, and go into like a combo. Throw a one-two. He'll kind of use his punches to put you against the fence, and then he'll just let go with a, a like a flurry. Like that's his thing. I don't think he's gonna get Buckley against the fence a lot. Buckley will spin out. He always does. Buckley moves very well. Buckley's nine years younger. Honestly, I I get why people are on Al Hassan because they're so similar. Because he's the underdog. Because he's might have the greater power here. I think a, a bit of it is uh, MMA math. You know, Buckley got head kick KO'd by Chirico. Al Hassan head kick KO'd um, Chirico. So now, you know, what people don't realize is in classic MMA fashion, now Buckley's going to head kick KO Al Hassan. But yeah, uh, this fight's a pass for me right now. I think I'm just going to watch it. You know, there's no betting the under because it's, like, blasted to pieces. Um, I wouldn't even parlay the under because it, it wouldn't even surprise me if these two somehow managed to go the distance. I, it would surprise me. I'd be shocked, honestly, if they went the distance. But things like that always fucking happen. I do want to see what it looks like, though. Fight doesn't go to decision. is minus 285. I honestly thought it would be steeper. I don't even. I don't know what you can even do with that. Yeah, this is a no go for me. Maybe if your book offers a fight ends in KO, that could be an interesting look. Um, you know, gun to my head and make a pick. It's Buckley. That's my official pick, but that is not my official bet. Probably will not have an official bet on this fight, but yeah, that's it for this one. It's going to be fun. Honestly, if you don't have a good read, I highly suggest just sitting it out and watching. Someone's probably going to get knocked out. My lean is Buckley, but it's not strong enough to place a bet. This next one threw me for a loop. So we've got Jim Miller versus Nicholas Moda. Jim Miller, we all know this guy. 33, 16 and 0. 38 years old, 5'8", 71-inch reach. Moda, on the other hand, 29 years old, 12, 3-0. 5'9", 70-inch reach. Miller training at a Sussex County MMA. And Moda over at Factory X Muay Thai. So, Moda, he was a contender series guy he fought last year against Joe Lowry uh, I believe he's one of uh, Paul Felder's friends I had money on Lowry in that fight but Moda won fair and square he's a counter punch puncher tr true and true Muay Thai base slick hooks that's pretty much all he throws is hooks doesn't have much of a jab that he uses um, lots of power good counter striker he could over swing a bit but when he lands, he lands. Like, 
Jeez, Joe Lowry's face showed showed the damage so so quickly, and I'm gonna explain why I ended up on Moda when I thought I was gonna come in here with the pass. So Miller, I mean we're talking about a vet of vets. 38 out of 49 fights in the UFC. The guy spent almost four hours in the octagon. Um, you know I was surprised actually. I thought that his control time would be, he'd have more for than against, but he's He's got 7% control time, 4 and 15 against, which is interesting. His striking is okay. He kind of he backs up a lot and he he depends on the left. He throws that power left and it works more than it should. I mean, he finished Gonzalez with it. We're going to talk about that fight in a second. I was watching his fight with um, Holtzman and he actually hurt Holtzman a few times with that one too. The reason I was watching Holtzman in particular is I wanted to see how he deals when he's getting hit really hard cuz when he fought Gonzalez, if you guys remember that one, Ghost Pepper, they they brought Gonzalez out of nowhere. Another combate guy. I know most of us did not think he belonged just yet. We didn't really understand why he got signed. But, you know, he got brought in. I bet Miller there. First round, honestly, Gonzalez looked good. He took Miller down really easily, which was interesting to see. Excuse me. And he also hurt Miller. And he hurt Miller with a check left hook. Or I think it was a left hook. Might have been a right. But I think it was a left hook. And it's the same kind of shit that Moto throws. Except Moto throws like three times as hard as uh, Gonzalez did. So. If Miller can't get this to the ground somehow. Which I don't see how. Because I don't see Moto shooting. This is going to be a stand up affair. And. Miller has shown time and time and time and time again that he can keep up, he can stand. But we do see the age coming in. In his la I want to say it was his last fight with Gonzalez, but it might have been the Holtzman fight. It, he literally told this corner, like, man, like something's wrong with my knee. We're slowly seeing like him age. He's 38 years old. He's talking about, you know, he wants to compete at UFC 300, but we're going to make it there first, bud. I've rode the Miller train. I've made quite a bit of money on him. I think I have a good record with him. I think the only mistake I made in recent history was I bet him against Pichel, and he lost, I want to say, to Pichel. Did he? Yeah, he did lose to Pichel. Ooh, I cashed so nice on Roosevelt Roberts, though. I always thought Roberts was a fraud, so I bet on him when I, against him whenever I could. But... Yeah, my favorite bet here, for sure, the one I hit first is uh, one unit on the fight doesn't go the distance. I got it at minus 125. Miller's sub-game is disgusting. He can. I understand that Moda's only been subbed one time, but Miller can sub anybody. That's always live. Moda has hands of fucking steel. He hits like a train. Miller has shown that he's starting to get wobbled. But Miller has also shown that he himself can finish. So that's why I like the fight doesn't go. Um, and then I also parlayed Moda with... Uh, I did a half unit with him in Dacus and a half unit with him in Pierce. Not something I'm extremely confident in, but he's training with King's MMA, I believe. Um, as far as I can tell, he's training with RDA, and I think that's where they're at. And... Yeah, I think that if this remains standing, which I do think it will, I think he's probably going to pick up Jim apart and probably finish him. 
I almost went with a with a prop on this, but with a KO prop, but I decided to not do it. But yeah, Moto is gonna be the pick. I do have two the two parlays, and the fight doesn't go on him. So I guess that's a total stake of two units on the fight, but only one unit on him himself. <laughs> this fucking fight. Alrighty. The Coco main event, the people's main event. The greatest heavyweight to ever live is coming back for another performance. We've got Parker Porter versus Alan Badeau. I hope I'm not butchering his name. Excuse me. But we got Parker Porter, 12, 6, and 0, 36 years old. He is 6 feet tall, 75 inch reach, trains with underdog mixed martial arts. Um, that is not what I have down. I believe he's with heavy hitters right now, but neither are a camp that I know much about. Alan Badeau on the other side, he's 34 years old. Six foot three, seventy-nine inch reach, and he's training at an MMA factory. That is um, Cyril Gon's camp. That's where uh, Imovov is. That that's where um, what was the coach's name? Fernand, F yeah, Fernand Lopez. I want to say. I need to know these things perfectly. Yeah, Fernand Lopez. I know my shit. I know my shit. But I've seen a lot of hot takes on this, and it's so funny. Like, I remember when Porter was coming in on his debut. He was debuting, and so was Chris Dawkins. And I never thought Dawkins was very good. I attempted fading him all the way until his Derek Lewis fight, and then I bet on him. So I actually have a 0% success rate betting on Chris Dawkins or against him. But I bet on Parker Porter in that one fight. And I didn't think he looked terrible, but this is Porter's thing. I mean, look at every fight he's had, right? Let's pull up the stats. He gets hit just as much as he's hitting the other guy. I understand his volume is very high for a heavyweight. And I think that's one of the things people are hanging their hat on is the volume. You know, his last two fights, he went with Chase Sherman. He... <laughs> he Landed 149 significant strikes. With Josh Parisian, he landed 126. One takedown in the Sherman fight, two in the Parisian fight. He looked, you know, he looked decent. His striking is pretty good. Pretty fast combos. Pretty good ones. He mixes up the targets well. His legs are fucking ginormous, so his kicks are crazy. And if you like kick him and he checks it, it's also a, a tremendous problem. Just watch the first round of him and Chase Sherman and just listen to the leg kicks. Just listen. It's insane. Um, the Chase Sherman sh fight is why I'm feeling the way I am about this fight. And that's because Chase Sherman hurt him in the first round. And if Chase Sherman wasn't such a terrible fighter and didn't get to ex exhausted in the second round, I think he could have won that fight. Parker Porter is too hittable. He ha he's a little small, so he has to close the distance by exploding in. And that's when you can clip him. Uh, Bado, I'm going to call him Alan because I don't want to butcher the name. Um, he's got a 4-inch reach advantage. He's got a 3-inch height advantage. And if you watch his last fight with uh, Rodrigo Nascimento, who ended up popping for steroids, 
Allen looked great in the first round. He beat the shit out of Rodrigo. He outstruck him. He was landing great strikes. Nice left hook. Good heavy right over the top. Throws a lot of leg kicks. Can put together nice combos. The issue is he was swinging the right hand too much, and he can leave himself open a bit. But I really don't know if Porter's going to KO him. He does do this thing where he'll throw the hand and then literally dip his head to the point where it's like this. So if Porter throws an uppercut or something, or like a knee, then he's going to kill him. But that's going to be a matter of catching that. Um, I have no interest betting this by decision, because or money line, like betting Allen money line at plus 215. Because look, he looked exhausted in the second round against Nascimento. It just, I don't see him winning a decision here. However, I do see him possibly finishing Porter. So that's why I'm looking at two possible bets. Right now, I'm waiting on a book to release Alan Badeau by... pretty much. So it would be Alan, decision, no action. So if he wins... During the in the middle of the like during the fight inside the distance, then I cash. If he loses inside the distance, I lose. But if we go to the decision, no matter who wins, I get my money back. That's the bet that I hit with uh, Mana Martinez last week, and I was so I was so glad. I mean, for a second I was worried because Lawrence almost finished him in round one and round two. But then in round three, when Mana almost picked up his own finish, and then I ended up getting my cash back, I felt good. I think this is a nice spot for that play as well because I don't see Allen winning a decision and I don't really see Porter finishing Allen unless Allen's exhausted. So if I am going to play it, that's how I'd be interested in playing it. I figure if he's plus 220, plus 200, I could probably get that up plus like 170, 180 and I would take that if I can get it. I'm going to wait and see. If not, I'm probably just going to sprinkle KO and call it a day because... This isn't a fight that I want to put a lot of money on. I think the dog is live, but he gets tired and Porter's a fucking dog, so I don't want to bet against him too much. Not here, at least. You know, if people want to keep riding the Porter train, I'll fade him eventually, but people are talking about Cyril Gaon and Tai Tuivasa. How? I have no words. But anyways, alrighty. We got Kyle Dawkins. This is our co-main event. We got Kyle Dawkins versus Jamie Pickett. Kyle Dawkins is 10 2 and 0, 28 years old, 6 foot 3, 76 inch reach, and he's training out of Martinez BJJ. And then on the other side, we got Jamie Pickett, 33 years old, 6 foot 2. 80 inch reach and he's training at a port city sports performance Dawkins is a southpaw Jamie's an orth Jamie fights out of orthodox and um I have I have money on Dawkins here he's one of my most confident picks here so first off one thing on the paper that's glaring at me control time for Dawkins 23% for 11 against Jamie Pickett, 6% for, 11 against. Pick, Pickett's fighting guys like, and getting out-controlled by guys like Tafana Chukwi. Um, he got out-controlled even in the fights that he won. Um, against Joseph Holmes, it was about even. Holmes <laughs> controlled him for 3 minutes and 15 seconds. He controlled Holmes for 3 minutes. 
Even Staropoli out-controlled him. Five minutes to two minutes, even though he, he ended up winning that fight. Uh, Jordan Wright knocked him out, so we didn't really get control time there. But Tafan Nechukwi out-controlled him three minutes to 34 seconds. So, I think that right off the bat, Dawkins has the grappling advantage. He's the better wrestler, I think. If he's not the better wrestler, once he hits the ground, he's certainly better. Ten submission wins, that's his thing. He's very good on the ground. Four sub losses for Dawkins. For Pickett, one sub win, two sub losses. And for the striking, Dawkins has been improving. I thought that Holland was going to clip his head off. And even though that fight ended, unfortunately, in a... Why does it say draw? It's a no contest, I want to say, but... Excuse me. Because of that headbutt. But Dawkins' striking has improved leaps and bounds, and that's clear as day. So I think that he has the grappling advantage. I think he's got the striking advantage. Piggott could be so much better than he than he is if he would just throw a fucking jab and have a better fight IQ. But unfortunately, he just doesn't do either have a good fighter IQ or throw a good jab. 80-inch reach at middleweight. Do you understand how long of a reach that is? He could have been jabbing people's heads off all day long. He just doesn't do it. He went to a close decision with Joseph Holmes. And it's not like Holmes is bad. It's just he's green. And I don't think you should be going to close decisions with guys who are fresh in the octagon when you've been here for quite a bit. Experience-wise, they're just about even. 30 minutes in the cage for Dawkins, 46 for Pickett. An hour, 43 minutes outside of the UFC for Dawkins. Hour 52 for Pickett. Yeah, I think that Dawkins wins this no matter where it is. Um, I've got him parlayed. I've got him money line, two and a half units. And I also sprinkled, I believe, a quarter unit on him by submission at plus 310. Guy's got 10 subs, and Jamie Pickett got arm triangled by Charles Char, Charlie Charles Bird. So, my pick is Dawkins. I'm not terribly concerned about this one, but hope it cashes because I'm very exposed to it. I'm going to need a new one for this last one. Alrighty. This is an interesting one. I have a crazy play on this that I'll get to at the end, but... Alright, we got Johnny Walker versus Jamal Hill. Johnny Walker is 29 years old. He's 18-6-0. He's 6 feet 6 inches tall. 82-inch reach, and he fights out of SBG, Ireland. Coach Kavanaugh is in his corner. Um, Personally, not a fan of Coach Kavanaugh. But, you know, he's trained some good guys, so you can't hate too much. On the other side, you got Jamal Hill, 9-1-0, 30 years old, 6'4", 79-inch reach, and just overall a surging prospect. You hear nothing but good things about Hill. Southpaw is Hill. Walker fights out of Orthodox. I'm not going to go over their control times for and against because I don't think anyone's grappling here. Walker... I'll get to it. He can threaten a sub. He did threaten 
a front choke on uh, Thiago Santos. And I am curious about whether he can use it, can do it, can grapple. He's six feet, six inches tall. He's huge. And even here with Jamal Hill, who's usually got the reach advantage, he's got the three-inch reach advantage. So I'm just curious if the striking's not going his way. Can he grapple? I know we haven't seen it at all, which is why it's such a big question mark and why I'm not betting. You'll see. <laughs> but it's just a question I have. I'm not betting on it or anything like that. But both these guys are strikers. It's a striking battle. I think this is an attempt for the UFC to give Hill a step up. But it could be a bounce back shot for Walker too because his last fight against Thiago Santos was just a fucking snoozer. Neither of them did really anything. Walker thought he was winning because his coach is an idiot and told him he was winning when he wasn't. But that's another story. I think he could have won that fight. I'm glad he didn't because I bet against him. But my issue with Walker there was, you know, he's low output. He likes to be really fancy with his striking. He's got a really nice front kick. Good, nice right straight hand when he lets it go. Doesn't use his jab enough, but he's got a good one. Just too much fancy shit. I think he fell in love with the hype. You know, he was doing flying knees, spinning shit, knocking people out. Justin Ledeo, I think he hit him with a spinning back fist. He's a very talented striker. And I think that this line kind of shows us just how fickle MMA is. MMA betters are. Because, alright, Jamal Hill, I get it. He just knocked out Jimmy Crute in like less than a minute, which is super impressive. But let's also not forget that Jimmy Crew is like one of the dumbest people on the planet when it comes to fighters. And, you know, in classic Jimmy Crute fashion, he got clipped. And then instead of grappling, he went right back to striking. And he got clipped again. And I think it was the same strike that put him down both times. Yeah, it was a right hook. It put down Crute the first time and then it just put him to sleep the second. So, you know... It means a lot that he did that, but it also doesn't mean that much because Cruz just not the brightest cookie. Before that, you know, he had that Craig, um, fuck, Craig Jones, right? I don't want to say the wrong name. Almost million percent positive. It's, oh my God, Craig Jones is the BJJ guy. Paul Craig is who I was thinking. Uh, Paul Craig pretty much ripped his arm out. Um, that was Hill's lack of fight IQ, honestly. That's not going to be relevant here. Here's what I think. Um, Hill's striking is probably crisper and straighter. He looks really good when he lets it go. He's got a nice one too as well. Great jab that he uses. What I like is that he'll reach with his strikes. He'll make himself very, very long. So between his height, between his reach, and that reach over that he does when he strikes, it's very hard to hit him back. Because The second he goes back, he's like, very far away from you so I get why people are high on him I think part of the reason people are feeling him here also is that Walker got hurt against Ryan Spann but I think people shouldn't forget that Ryan Spann is a little bit bigger than Hill and something that made me you know want to take a look at a Walker bet here and that ultimately helped me reach my Walker bet is that you watch the Hill OSP fight and you know, OSP could have won that if he would just stick Southpaw. I know that Walker doesn't fight Southpaw, but I think that the main issue there is 
Hill seems to struggle when a guy is bigger than him. When o- OSP was bigger than him, and he had a hard time getting his striking flow going. And he was getting hit a good amount also. I think that if Walker gives him enough looks, keeps it funky enough, does his thing, I think this is either their fight, and I don't think either of them should be a minus 260 favorite over the other. I think this should be straight evens. You know, Walker's got good amount of size. I don't see why he should be such a big dog. It doesn't really make sense to me. I think it's just MMA gamblers and bookies and the such being fickle. We have very short-term memories when it comes to these things, but... I ended up going with Johnny Walker. I went a half unit at plus 210. I plan on going back and watching again and maybe adding another half unit. I'm not sure. Um, I've still got a lot of other stuff I want to do, like the fantasy show, the Bellator show, the PFL part. I want to find other bets maybe on... um, on Eagle FC so I've got a lot to do but I do think I'm going to take a second glance because I might want to make it a full unit on Walker I also I was looking at Walker inside the distance but I just I don't know the one thing I did take (laughs) this is the sprinkle I've been alluding to this whole time I crack up every single fucking time I look at it but honestly I think it was worth a shot I took Johnny Walker by submission at plus 2,000 for 0.1 units. And hear me out. It's literally 0.1 unit to win two. Uh, if I if I lose the bet, it's going to mean nothing. And if I hit the bet, it's going to mean a lot to me and to my record. And to be completely honest, like I don't think it's impossible. Like He threatened it on Thiago Santos. I understand that it was never in tight. I understand that he... It's not something he does. I understand he's a striker. I just think that with long limbs like he has, with the with the, the height advantage, with the fact that he might not be the better striker, I think it's possible that, you know, maybe he mixes in some grappling for the first time. For plus 2,000 and uh, .1 units, you know, it was worth a shot for me. Probably anybody listening to this is going to think I'm an idiot, but... That's that's my uh, tinfoil hat play of the week. But yeah, that's the main event. My lean is Walker. No strong pick there either. Personally, I'm pretty not happy with this card. It's a little rough, betting-wise. I'm about to pull up my, um, my bets for the card, and honestly, I don't love them. I really don't. Let me see if I can make this easy, better for you guys to see. I'm not sure how much you could see, but anyways, let's see. So straight picks. I've got a half unit on jo- Johnny Walker at plus two ten. I got two and a half units at Kyle Dawkins at minus two fifty. I got three and a half units on David Onama at minus one thirty four. I've got Mark Striegel one unit plus one eighty five, and then. No official round robins. Um, I'm probably gonna round like make it a round robin between Dawkins, Pierce, and uh, Batista, but we're gonna see what that line comes out at. But right now I've got uh, Pierce and Dawkins parlayed, um, 2.2 units at minus 112. 
And then I've got Onama and Pierce parlayed at plus 112 for one unit. I have Dawkins by submission for a quarter unit at plus 310. Straighter by KO or sub plus 400 for a quarter unit. Pierce by KO or sub plus 110, half a unit. Uh, Jim Miller, Moda, fight doesn't go to decision, minus 125 for a unit. Parlayed Moda and Pierce for a half unit at plus 114. Parlayed Moda and Dawkins for a half unit at plus 125. And then I've got that .1 unit for Walker by submission to win two units. This is, you know, a very weird slate for me. I don't normally bet this way, but just not much to work with on this card, to be honest. And not much to work with for the next week's card either, so it's going to be an interesting one. DraftKings is just absolutely... I I don't... I have no idea what to do <laughs> this week. My lineups are all over the place. Um, I have the chart ready for you guys next uh, for tomorrow, so it'll be fun to go over that. The prize pick stuff, I still got to finish up that chart but we've also got a bunch of stuff to go over there um and yeah i got a few good looks for prediction strike hopefully uh underdog fantasy will put out their lines tomorrow as well so i can add them to the fantasy show and then i hope to have my video out for um bellator on thursday but it's going to be a bit of a stretch well we're gonna see what we can do but all right thank you guys for tuning in sticking with me for this hour and a half and um see you guys tomorrow peace